Hello and welcome to Account Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture we're going to talk about inventory methods, specifically three inventory methods. Those inventory methods being the first in, first out method or FIFO, the last in, last out method or LIFO, and the average method. At the end of this we will be able to explain inventory methods under these three methods, FIFO, LIFO, and average, calculate inventory cost flows under these three methods, and uh, record journal entries related to inventory cost flows under these three methods and explain the effect of journal entries to accounts on the trial balance with regard to these three methods and then we'll compare and contrast what the differences are between these three methods. Now a quick overview of why we're going to use these three methods. Remember when we're selling inventory we're just basically we're buying inventory and then we're going to sell the inventory and it would seem fairly easy for us to track the inventory we can count the inventory, we can have a periodic inventory system, we can have a perpetual inventory system, but we're able to do a physical count, we're able to see how much inventory went in and how much inventory went out. Notice when we do a physical count, we can track the units without too much problem. So whether we have a perpetual system, meaning that the inventory is tracked on every sale, or a periodic system, in which case we're going to basically like count the inventory at the end of a time period, and then determine how much of the inventory had been sold, we can easily determine the units that were going to be sold. And the problem is that we need to convert those units, of course, to dollar amounts, the cost of the units that have been sold. And most of the times you might be thinking, well, that's easy. The dollar amount's the same. We only sell this one thing. We always buy this one thing. And so when we sell it, the cost is the cost. So we can just take the units that are there, multiply times the cost, and that's going to be the end result. But we know that prices do change, even, even on things that are going to be the same in unit price. Usually the price is going to go up over time, all else equal, because of inflation. So it's quite common that even if we're buying the same product, that the price will vary. And over the long run, over time, we would assume the price would go up in value. Now, depending on the type of inventory we have, we might do different types of inventory methods. If we have large inventory, like we're selling cars or something like that, then I'm going to know exactly how much each particular car costs. I'm going to have the license number. I'm going to know for that license number for that car costs specifically this amount of when we sell that car. We will then take it off the books for that specific inventory unit. However, if we're selling things that are more the same or homogenous in nature, then it really doesn't make sense for us a lot of times to track in that method. So if we're selling like nuts and bolts and we just have a bucket of nuts and bolts and someone picks out so many nuts and bolts in order to buy them, we're not going to track exactly which one was purchased when because they're going to last for a long amount of time and it would take too much time and effort for us to track in that way. We're not going to use specific identification. If we do not use specific identification, then the normal uh, choice of methods that we can have are going to be these estimating methods. We have the first in, first out, we have the last in, first out, and we have the average method. It's important to note that none of these methods are specific identification. They are estimates. So they're not what actually is happening. We don't have specific identification. We don't know what is actually happening. There are going to be theories as to which one of these methods better relate to reality. And we'll talk about that as we go. But it's important to note that we're making assumptions under either method. They're all just approximations. That's why we can use any of them. And we're going to have to pick one and then kind of be con consistent with that one method. So once we pick the method, then we need to be consistent with that method. And so that's how we're going to post this out. So let's think about a transaction and think about um, how these would work. We're going to go through the most common one. The most common two are going to be first in, first out, and average. 
First in, first out belief makes the most intuitive sense to most people, it does to me, because it follows what you would imagine to be the normal inventory process. For example, if you're stocking shelves and you're stocking the milk into the grocery store, it's not like you put the new milk in the front so people keep on buying the new milk. You really take the milk out and you put the new milk in the back, hoping that people will buy the milk in the front, and then the, that's going to be similar to a first-in, first-out method. So we would assume, even if you're not talking about products that are perishable, such as milk, even if we're talking about nuts and bolts, I would assume that we would want to sell the older ones first, if possible. And so if they're all the same kind of products, we're probably going to stack the shelves in a way that we try to sell the older ones first. Again, it's just an estimation, but this one kind of mirrors what we would typically think would be the estimation. That would mean that we're going to sell the first one, the first one we bought, will be the first one that we sold. That's going to be the first in, first out method. It's important to note that the consequences of that, as we go through and as we compare these methods, is going to be that usually, all else equal, prices are going to go up. That means if we're selling the first one we bought, which we bought, like let's say we bought it two years ago, versus the one we bought yesterday, and prices go up, then we're selling the one that we bought at the cheaper price, if we're just talking about dollar amount. And that's going to have consequences, of course, when we then record the inventory for inventory and the cost of goods sold. That difference in prices, that's what the issue is between these methods. So when we think about the inventory method, we're going to think about uh, a trial balance, and then we're going to think about transactions, and then we're going to look at what the effect on the transactions are. We're also going to have a separate worksheet. That separate worksheet is kind of like a subsidiary ledger, similar to the ledger that we had when we had accounts receivable and accounts payable broken out not by date, but in those cases, by customer and vendor, respectively. We're going to do the same thing for the inventory. We're going to have to have another ledger that's kind of breaking out what kind of groups of costs we have because we bought the inventory at different times and therefore have different costs to them. We're going to start off with a trial balance. So you want to think about, we want to visualize the trial balance again. So we got our trial balance. We're going to have a simple trial balance. We've got the assets, we've got the liabilities, we've got the equity, we've got the revenue. We're imagining that giant T account in our trial balance numbers and we can analyze what's going to happen to them. Assets being on top, so we've got the cash as an asset, uh, accounts receivable as an asset, and then inventory, that's what we're going to be focusing in on, is an asset, debit balance, left-hand side of the T account. We can imagine it as a green number. Then we have the liabilities. We have the accounts payable is going to be our only liability we will be working with. I'm going to imagine it yellow on the right-hand side of the T account. Then we got the equity section. We got the capital account. I'm imagining the capital account being the bright blue. That's the amount owed to the owner. It's going to be on the right-hand side. It's a credit balance. Then we have revenue, and revenue will be the income. So income is going to be the on the income statement. I'm imagining it a navy blue because it's part of the equity, but it's not uh, directly in the capital number. And that's going to be a credit balance on the right-hand side of our giant T. Then we have cost of goods sold. That's going to be the other account that we're going to be working with when we finally sell the inventory. And that's going to be an expense account, part of the income statement. It's going to be on a giant T, a debit amount on the left-hand side of the account. Under that, we can imagine all the other expenses as well, utilities expense and supplies expense. Now, we're going to start off assuming that there's a beginning balance as of the beginning of our process in inventory. And I'm going to assume that the books have the beginning inventory on the books at 5,000. So we're going to say 5,000 in inventory. Now, when you look at the trial balance, of course, 5,000 doesn't mean 5,000 units. We don't have 5,000 widgets necessarily, unless they're all $1 each, but we have 5,000 units. Then we need to, I mean, we have $5,000. 
Then we need to figure out the subsidiary ledger tells us how many units are accounting for those 5,000 and how they're being grouped, how they're being valued, how they're being sold. So if we think about the subsidiary ledger that backs up inventory, we often break that out into three pieces as we work through the problem. We, we can think of the purchases. So whenever we have a purchase, we're gonna have three columns related to purchase, and that'll give us the three columns of quantity times the units gives us the total. And that's gonna always be the case. What's the quantity? What's the unit price that we're talking about? What's the total? We're gonna have another three columns related to the cost of goods sold, and that's gonna be the quantity, the unit price, and the total there. And then we're going to have the total inventory representing the amount that's still left. It's in ending inventory, the amount on the trial balance under inventory. And we're going to have quantity, uh, unit cost, and total there. Now, right now we have, we're saying that that 5,000 units, I mean that $5,000 represents 100 units. Those units all being cost at this time at $50. And so that's what makes up 50 times the 100 gives us that $5,000 number. That's what we're starting out with. 100 units, $50, trial balance amount is in dollars, not units, of course, at $5,000. Next thing that's going to happen is we're going to say that we purchased 400 units at $55 each. So we purchased 400 units, and you can think of the, the journal entry is going to be really easy. We've talked about this journal entry before. It's not going to change. We are going to think, well, is cash affected? No, cash isn't affected because we usually purchase on account. Therefore, it's going to be an accounts payable. I usually think about what we got. We got uh, inventory. So inventory, if we look at our chart of accounts, we look at inventory and we see that it's in the assets section, assets with debit balances, usually the green accounts, left-hand side of the account of the T account. We are going to make it go up because we got more of it. Therefore, we're going to do the same thing to it as what it is, which in this case would be another debit. So on our journal entry, then we're going to debit inventory. How much? Well, we got 400 units times $55. So we're just going to multiply that out, get 22,000. There's no estimation in this part of our transaction. This has nothing to do with the estimations which will come into play later. This is what it is. That's how much we paid. That's the actual reality number. And then we're going to have to credit something for that 22000 And we didn't pay cash, so we're not going to reduce cash. What are we going to credit instead? We are going to credit the accounts payable. So if we post that out, then we got we had the 5000 beginning inventory. We debited it 22000 So now we have 27000 in inventory. And the other side of it, we had cost of goods sold. I'm saying I had 12150 We credited it, making it go up in the same direction by the 22000 bringing it up to 34150 in the accounts payable. Now, the issue is we need to track that $27,000 worth of inventory on our subsidiary ledger. This is where we're going to bring into place these three different sections. We've got the purchases, then we've got the cost of goods sold, where we, where we sell the stuff, and then we've got the inventory. So this is going to be a purchase. I'm going to, I have the first three columns, purchases, under purchases, I've got the quantity, units, and total. And I'm going to put under purchases that we purchased 400 units at $55, multiplying those two out to get total purchase of the 22,000, backing up that 22,000 purchase amount. Then over in the total, if I go to the third column, the total and the ending balance, remember what we had in there before was 5,000 units. I'm going to make two separate rows now because we have two separate uh, layers of purchase price because the 5,000 units, I mean the $5,000 worth, 100 units, the 100 units we had at $50 last time now have gone up and we bought another 400 at $55. So you can see now that we have these two layers and that's what we're going to have to deal with. The purchase price went up 
That's what typically happens over time, all else equal due to inflation. Therefore, I'm gonna bring down at this purchase price the 100 times the 50, that's our original $5,000 worth of inventory that we started with. Underneath that, in the inventory section, I'm gonna have 400 units at $55. 400 times the 55, $22,000 worth. If we add those two up, now we've got $5,000 worth plus the $22,000 worth, that gives us that 27,000. The key here is that when we sell stuff, the question is, well, now what are we going to sell? Are we going to sell the 100 units at 50 or are we going to sell the 400 at 55? We are using first in, first out. The first ones in were the 100 units at 50. We're going to sell the 100 units at 50. Note that they're the cheaper ones in the case where prices are increasing. So let's take a look at an example of a sale to see what would happen in a case of exist of increasing prices. So now we're going to say that we sold uh, 420 units at a sales price of $85. Now, many times when we look at these, these inventory methods, we're really focused in on the cost. And oftentimes they don't even give us the sales price. So we start to kind of lose track of what we're doing here because uh, we're not seeing the sales, which is typically what we focus on, of course, in normal day-to-day -day business. We usually see the sales half, not the cost half. Note what this whole worksheet is doing. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the sales price per se. Now, they'll, they're probably going to take the cost and figure out what the sales price should be, but that's not what we're trying to do right now. We're, we're trying to just track the costs to what it is, and a, a problem at this point in time will then give us the sales price, which, of course, will be greater than the cost. So we're tracking the cost. Uh, a problem or something will give us whatever the sales price is, which should, of course, be greater than the cost. So if we were going to record the sales half of it, then it would be the, the typical recording that we would have on sales, and we're going to say that we, we sold it on account. So I'm first going to do the half of the transaction that relates to like a service company not dealing with inventory. And then we'll do the half of the transaction that deals with inventory in that way. So if cash is not affected, what did we get? We got accounts receivable. We got an IOU. Therefore, the accounts receivable is going to go up. Accounts receivable is an asset. We're going to make it go up by doing the same thing to it, which in this case would be another debit. We're going to debit the accounts receivable by how much? Well, we sold 420 units times $85. So if we multiply that out, that's 35,700. That has nothing to do with the worksheet that we had because the sales price does not have to do with the costs that we are working on. Then we're going to credit something. What are we going to credit? Well, we earned that money and therefore we're going to credit revenue, which is usually called sales when we sell stuff. So sales is going to be the credit and uh, it has a credit balance. Revenue does and it only goes up. So we're going to do the same thing to it and credit it. So we know that accounts receivable then is going to go up and revenue is going to go up. We're going to debit accounts receivable, making it go up. We're going to uh, credit uh, revenue, making it go up as well. Second half of the transaction is going to deal with inventory. So now we have inventory. Uh, it's going to go down because we sold the inventory in order to generate the revenue. And so if we look at inventory on our trial balance, it's going to be an asset uh, account. It's up with the asset areas. It's got a debit balance. We know that it needs to go down because we gave the inventory up. Therefore, we're going to do the opposite thing to it as what it is. It's got a debit like all the other assets or most of them. And therefore, we're going to do the opposite and credit it. I'm going to show this like we have before in a separate journal entry. We're going to have a separate journal entry, even though it's happening at the same time as the sales half of it. And we're going to credit inventory. And then we're going to debit something related to selling the inventory. And that debit's going to be cost of goods sold. So we're debiting cost of goods sold. That's the expense. That's going to increase the expense, decrease net income, and we're crediting inventory. Problem is, 
what are, is that a number going to be? What are we going to debit and credit related to inventory? Because we have two different numbers up here in our worksheet. We have two different numbers. We have uh, the number of units we have on hand is 500 units, but some of them cost $50. Some of them cost $55. That is the problem. Which of those are we going to say we're going to use? If we think of our worksheet, I'm going to say we have the purchases, three columns, then we got the cost of goods sold. We're going to put this in the cost of goods sold and kind of work this out. So first we're going to sell the old units under FIFO, first in, first out. Old units were at $50 and we had 100 of them. So we're going to say we're going to sell all those 100, uh, 100 units at $50. Those are going to be wiped out. So I'm going to say 100 times 50, that's that original 5,000. Then under this column, we're also going to say, well, how many more units do we need to sell in order to get up to that 420? 420 minus 100 means we need another 320 units. So we need another 320 units we're going to get, of course, from that other layer that we're at $55. So we had 4,000 units at 55. We're going to sell 320 of them at 55. So 320 times 55 is the 17,600. So we sold 100 units at 50 and 320 at 55 to get to the 400 units. Total cost then for those units would be the 5,000 plus the 17,600 or 22,600. So that's going to be the debit to cost of goods sold. That's going to be the credit to inventory. So what's the effect on net income then? We'll see that the net income went up by the 35,700 because that was going to be the sales price. And, and then we had to record the expense, the cost of goods sold related to it. And that was the 22,600. So the net increase in either gross profit or sales would be 13,100 13, in this problem. Also note that the inventory went down from 27,000. We credited it by the 22,600, bringing it to 4,400. That's going to be our ending inventory after this transaction. That should agree to the amount that is left on our worksheet. So if we go back to the ending balance on our worksheet now, what I'm going to do is put the layers back in there, and I'm going to put the layers that are left within our worksheet to back up the fact that we have 4,400 in cash. What are the units then that we have? Well, if we, if we take a look at the outer column and our worksheet now, what we're going to do is recalculate these two layers we had before. We had one layer at 100 at 50, uh, 100 units at $50, and another layer of 400 units at $55. Now, the first layer then, I'm going to say there was 100 units we had minus the 100 units. We assumed we sold all 100. So that means that there's zero units at $50 meaning zero times 50, we're left with zero in terms of dollars for uh, the first layer. Second layer, we had, we ended, we had last time before this transaction, 400 units at $55. We sold 320 of them. 400 minus 320 means we got 80 units left at $55. 80 times the 55 gives us that 4,000. That's the only layer we have, I mean the 4,400. That 4,400 is the only layer we have, and that's backing up or agreeing to what is now on the trial balance in terms of dollar amount, and that's going to be the how the FIFO method will work. Let's look at a similar method for LIFO. LIFO, last in, first out. We're going to move on to LIFO, and we will be putting in these same transactions. So instead of having a first in, first out assumption, we're going to assume that these same transactions happened as if we were in a last in, first out assumption. So obviously, if we're talking about one particular firm, we're not going to be doing both of these calculations. We're comparing and contrasting 
the same journal entries with these two calculations to see what would happen, a company would of course have to pick one of the other and be consistent with that pick. Now, most people intuitively think that first in, first out makes a lot more sense because although it doesn't necessarily follow the flow of inventory, it follows what we presume to be what the company would at least want that flow to be, meaning the stuff that we bought first is the stuff that we sell first. Now, that being the case, when would we possibly want someone thing to have the thing that we bought last to be the thing that we're going to sell first? That seems odd. The last thing I bought, I want that to be sold first. That'd be like stocking the shelves and putting the new milk in front all the time, hoping that the purchaser will purchase the new milk <laughs> rather than the old milk. Now, again, for non-perishables, it's not as important as that, but it still seems a little bit odd to most people. Why would we want that? Most people would say, well, that's probably because of tax purposes. It's probably some kind of tax reason because in a time of inflating prices, that would mean that if we sold that last gallon of milk, the cost of that last gallon of milk is most likely uh, higher or equal. But if it's different, it's going to be higher than the previous cost, all else equal, just due to inflation, just because prices tend to rise. And therefore, if we sell that last unit of goods, the cost of that goods will be lower and that'll be meaning that net income is going to be lower and when we pay taxes we want the net income to be lower so it could quite possibly be that a last and uh, first out method would be used as an attempt to lower net income and therefore lower taxes so let's go through these transactions under last in first out it's a good contrast to the first in first out and, and it also shows uh, how estimates really Im are important, different types of estimates, and can show different uh, outcomes just depending on these types of estimates. All right, so we're starting off with a beginning balance of 100 units. Those 100 units cost $50. That's what we started last time. So the total cost then is $5,000. If we looked at our trial balance then, we would have $5,000 in the inventory. That $5,000 being backed up by the subsidiary ledger, our worksheet of inventory, that worksheet showing units unit cost and total we only have one layer at this point therefore we have 100 units 50 dollars so that's what what the entire 5,000 is consisting of at this point next we're going to imagine the same transaction which is that we purchased 400 more units and those 400 more units cost 55 dollars now the journal entries are going to be exactly like it was before we started looking at these worksheets for first in first out or last in first out it is what it is there's no estimation happening here if we go through our questions, is cash affected? I'm going to say no. We're going to purchase it on account. Therefore, what did we get? We got inventory. Inventory is an asset. Inventory has debit balance. Therefore, we're going to make it go up by doing the same thing to it, which in this case is another debit. So our journal entry would be a debit to inventory. And then we need to credit something. That credit is going to go not to cash because we didn't pay cash. It's going to go to accounts payable. Accounts payable is a liability. Liabilities have credit balances. We are going to credit it again making it go up and so that's what's going to happen the inventory is going to go up and the liabilities is going to go up how is how much is it going to go up by well we we purchased 400 units at 55 dollars if we multiply that out that's that twenty two thousand dollars note that this is the same between both first in first out and last in first out this is not an estimate this is what it is that's what we paid that's how much inventory we're putting on the books the estimate comes later when we decide which ones to sell because these units cost $55 as opposed to the units we already had on the books, which only cost $50. So if we look at our worksheet, typically a worksheet will look like this. It's going to have that three column layout or three areas of it. 
one the purchases column then the sales column and then the inventory column meaning that's the total that is tying out to the trial balance so in here we purchased more stuff so i'm going to put in the first three columns of our worksheet i'm going to record the purchase so as of the date of purchase we purchased 400 units at 55 dollars multiplying those times together gives us the 22,000 units if we look at our total then at the far column of our worksheet, we're going to say now I have two layers. So I'm going to bring down that prior layer because that's still what we have, 100 units, $50, and that gives us $5,000 worth of inventory. And then I'm just going to add to it in our total column the new units that we purchased, 400 units, $55 for $22,000. The $5,000 plus the $22,000, that gives us the $27,000. That should then tie out to what is on our trial balance which it does why because when we posted that journal entry to inventory we started with five thousand then we debited the inventory for twenty two thousand the amount that we paid bringing the inventory up in terms of a dollar amount to twenty seven thousand so that's where we're at at this point next important piece is that we sold inventory so we're going to say that we've sold 420 units of inventory at 85 dollars now again it's important to note I always like to put the sales price in there because that's what we usually think of when we sell inventory. We think of the sales price. It seems odd. Some problems will actually tell you record the cost of goods sold without the sales half of it because we're focusing on the cost of goods sold. But it's good to look at the full journal entry because that's what we've seen before. We're focusing in on the cost of goods sold, but uh, obviously the cost of goods sold is going to be related to the sales item. But remember, if a problem gives you the sales amount, that sales amount has nothing to do with our cost worksheet necessarily. Somebody, management, did take the costs that we have and mark it up to come up with the sales price in some way, but that's not the focus of these problems. The focus of these problems is to concentrate on the cost, not on the sales price. So keep, keep that in mind. So that means that when we record our journal entry, the first half of it is going to be very similar to what it would be in like a service company. We're just going to record the revenue and the accounts receivable. So how would that work? We're going to go through our questions. Is cash affected? I'm going to say no, it was, it was sold on account. What did we get then? We got AR, accounts receivable. People owe us money because we did work. It's an asset, has a debit balance. We got more of it because people owe us more. Therefore, we're going to debit accounts receivable. The credit then, what's the credit going to go to? Well, the credit people are going to pay us because we did work in this case and earned revenue. So that for, there's going to go into the revenue account. Now the revenue account might be called sales because we sell stuff here, but that's the same type of account. It has a credit balance that only goes up, so we are going to credit revenue for the 35,700. 35,700 being calculated as 420 units times the sales price $85. The book or any problem is just going to give us what the sales price is, not related to the worksheet that we've been working on. Second half of the, of the transaction, that's what we need to focus in on because that's where the numbers will come from our worksheet what's the second half of the transaction well we had to give up inventory in order to generate that revenue therefore inventory is going to go down and we're going to have to record that part of the transaction so in terms of what accounts are going to be debited and credited we can say well inventory is an asset we sold it therefore it's going to go down how do i make something go down i do the opposite thing to it as what it is therefore we're going to credit it now again i'm going to make it a separate journal entry even though the sales half and the and the inventory half are happening at the same point in time Separate journal entry, usually more, compre more comprehensible. Therefore, a second journal entry, second account in the second journal entry, because it's a credit, will be a credit. And that's and I'm not going to get the dollar amount now because we're going to have to figure out what that is. 
but we know it's a credit to inventory. Now, what's the debit going to be? Well, uh, in order to give up the inventory, we had the expense of the most important expense, cost of goods sold. Cost of goods sold represents the expense related to us selling the inventory, giving up that asset in order to help us generate this revenue in the same time period, the matching principle. So cost of goods sold being an expense has a debit balance. It only goes up in the debit direction. Therefore, we're going to debit it. So we got cost of goods sold, debit, credit to inventory. Now, what's the amount? That's, of course, the problem that we are looking at here. And the issue is, which one of these units are we going to sell this time? We have units that we started with that cost $50, and then we got units that we purchased that cost $55. Which ones do we sell first under last in, first out? We sell the last ones first. Very strange, very strange. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to sell the last units first. We had 400 units that we bought later at the higher price of 55, 100 units at the lower price. We're going to sell those 400 units first. 400 units at 55, wiping out that second layer. That comes out to 22,000. Then, in order to get up to our 420 units, 420 minus 400 means we need another 20 units. 20 units is going to cut into that other layer, the older layer under LIFO, last in, first out, being 20 units at $50. 20 times 50 gives us the $1,000. So that's where we're going to get uh, the $22,000 plus the $1,000. We're going to say that cost of goods sold and the inventory reduction, that second half, that second journal entry, is going to be $23,000. So we're going to reduce inventory. We had $27,000 worth on the books. We're going to credit it by $23,000, bringing the ending inventory down to $4,000. The cost of goods sold then is going to be uh, a debit of twenty-three thousand, bringing the cost of goods sold up to twenty by twenty-three thousand. Now, what's the effect on the income state? Remember that the effect is going to be uh, net income effect is going to be increased by the revenue, which we increase with a credit of thirty-five thousand seven hundred revenue minus expenses. That expense being cost of goods sold, decreasing it by twenty-three thousand. The net increase to either gross profit or net income, however you want to call it, is 12700 Also note that the ending inventory in our balance sheet account has $4,000 worth in it, and that will match what we have in our ending balance on our worksheet as well. Now we're going to do the same thing again, and we're going to move on to our third and final option for these inventory methods, and that would be the average method. So the first in, first out is one extreme. The last in, first out is the other extreme. The average method is somewhere in between. Now, if we were picking a method that we think would kind of be the most reasonable method, we would probably pick either first in, first out, or the average. Uh, last in, first out, again, kind of being that outlier, but giving us a good idea of what an assumption could happen. It's, it's reasonable. There could be an argument to be made that uh, if we don't know which unit we sold, we could have sold the last unit in there. But we have the two extremes in first in, first out. Last in, first out, we'll take a look at the differences in our calculations after we go through the average. And then in the middle, we're going to have the average, of course, which would make sense as an average. We will start off in the same location, that location being that we have a beginning inventory of $5,000 worth on the trial balance as an asset, that being backed up by our worksheet and the backup including 100 units at $50 cost. Therefore, 100 times 50 gives us that 5,000 units that we will be starting with. Then we have the familiar second journal entry, which will be the same under either of these methods. The journal entry doesn't change. It is what it is, and that is we purchased 400 units costing the $55. So we're going to put on the purchase. Again, there's no estimate within the journal entry. The estimate will take place 
once we get to the worksheet and we're allocating in terms of how we're going to allocate those units to unit costs when we have changing prices. All right, so what's going to happen when we purchase inventory? Is cash affected? No, we're going to say we purchased it on account. Then we're going to say, okay, well, we got inventory. If we say inventory is an asset, which it is, and it's going to go up. Assets have debit balances. We're going to make it go up by doing the same thing to it, which in this case is another debit. That debit will be on our journal entry, a debit of 22000 by calculating 400 units times the cost of $55, the cost of us buying it from our vendor. Then we're going to credit something. We're not going to credit cash because we didn't pay cash yet. We're going to credit accounts payable. Accounts payable has a credit balance because it's a liability. We're going to make it go up. The bad thing's going up by doing the same thing to it, which in this case would be another credit. So we're going to debit inventory, making it go up. So we had $5,000 worth in inventory plus a credit of 20, I mean, a debit of 22,000 gives us a total of 27,000. Accounts payable, we had a credit of 12,150. And we credit it by 22000 to get us to 34150 Now the worksheet's going to be a little bit different when we do the calculation in our worksheet because now we're going to have to calculate the average. We're not going to have these layers. What we're going to say is, oh, the total inventory per unit cost, yeah, about this much. That's what you have to say when you have an average. You say, well, it's cut some cost this much, some cost 50 some cost uh, 55 The average, they cost, yeah, about this much. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to make that average. So we're going to have our same worksheets. we got the purchase columns, we got the sales columns, cost goods sold, and the ending inventory. And during the purchase date, we're going to say that we purchased 400 units at $55. That's our new $22,000 worth of inventory. Now, when we go to our inventory method, what I'm going to do over here is I'm going to pull down the prior layer, not because we're going to keep the layer, but because we need it to calculate the average to come up with what the average will be. So remember, we had, a we had 100 units at $50, giving us $5,000 uh, worth. Now we've got another 400 units at $55, giving us the $22,000. What I'm going to do now is add together the dollar amounts, the $22,000 plus the $5,000. That gives us the $27,000. And we're going to divide that by the total number of units, 5,500. So what we're doing is we're saying, let's take the total cost here, divided by the number of units and that will mean that we're going to say all the units that we have the 500 units aren't some of them costing 50 some of them are 55 we're going to say they all cost yeah about in this case 54 dollars now let me mention a common mistake that happens oftentimes and that is that sometimes we're going to think that we might think we might come to the conclusion and say well if some of these units cost 50 dollars and some cost 55 dollars why don't I just take an average of 50 plus 55, take that and divide it by the two, and we'd come up with an average of 52.5, which seems more reasonable when, you, when you're taking a look at the number 50 and the number 55 and trying to pick a number that's kind of the average in between. That seems 52.5 seems more reasonable than 54. Why doesn't that work? Because there's a different amount of one unit. We only had 100 units at $50. We had 400 units at $55. Therefore, what we have to do is take the total. We got to take the 100 units plus the 400 units gives us the 500 units. We got to take the total dollar amount, the 20, the uh, 22,000, the 5,000 to give us the 27,000, so that we we can take that 27,000 total dollar amount divided by the 500 total units, and that will then give us the uh, $54 that we're going to use as our average. So when we move forward, now it's kind of easier for the next step. We're just we don't have these two layers. We just pick the average rather than having to pick between these two layers when we sell 
this inventory. So let's see what that will look like. Next, we have the same transaction. We sold 420 units at a sales price of $85. Once again, we're going to do the same. We're going to do the first half related to sales, even though that really doesn't relate to the cost worksheet that we're working on all the way through. But we want to tie it out to the entire um, process. The $85 that we just gave us that number. It doesn't have anything to do with the cost. All right, so we're going to say we sold units. What's the first half of the journal entry? Is cash affected? No, we sold it on account. What did we get? Accounts receivable. Accounts receivable is a debit balance. It's going to go up. We're going to do the same thing to it, which in this case is another debit. So we're going to debit the accounts receivable by 35700 That's 420 units times $85, the sales price, bringing accounts receivable up. Then we're going to credit revenue because we earned that money. So the account related to accounts receivable is, of course, revenue we're going to call it sales in this case because we sell stuff so sales is a credit balance we're going to make it go up by doing the same thing to it which in this case would be another credit so we're going to increase revenue by the 35,700 so we debited accounts receivable increased accounts receivable we credited revenue or sales increasing revenue or sales by 35,700 second half of the journal entry uh it's going to be related to the inventory that we sold we sold inventory in order to generate the revenue and therefore inventory will need to go down Inventory has a debit balance. In order to make it go down, we will do the opposite thing to it. So again, I'm going to make another journal entry, even though these two journal entries are related. We're going to put inventory on the bottom because we're going to have to credit inventory, it being an asset, assets having debit balances. In order to make it go down, we do the opposite thing to it. We credit inventory. I don't know what the dollar amount is yet because that's what we need the worksheet for. And then we're going to debit something related to that, that something being cost of goods sold, an expense, cost of goods sold, our most important expense that relating to the use of the inventory in order to help us generate revenue. So we're going to debit cost of goods sold. When we record that, it'll increase the cost of goods sold expense, decrease net income, and uh, decrease inventory. But what will the number be? So we're going to have to go to our worksheet. In the column re regarding the sales column or the cost of goods sold calculation, we're going to say that we sold 420 units. The question is, what are we going to price those units at? Well, we bought some at 50, we bought some at 55, but we determined that the average is nah, about $54. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to say that we have $54 worth on average. Take that 420 times the average of $54 to get the 22680 So we're going to debit cost of goods sold, 22680 We're going to credit inventory, 22680 When we do so, that will give us... Uh, 27,000 inventory minus the credit of 22,680 or 4,320 left in ending inventory. Cost of goods sold is going to go up by the 22,680. What's the effect on net income from this transaction? It went up from the sales of 35,700 minus the increase in cost of goods sold, 22,680. Net increase 13,020. On our worksheet during this sales price, we need to record the reduction on the worksheet. So what we're going to say, we had 500 units. We sold 420 of them. 500 minus 420 gives us 80 left. And then we just need to say they're all still worth the 54 average. We have the same average there. And that, if we multiply 80 times the 54, that gives us the 4,320. And that 4,320 will then match the ending balance number on the trial balance. Let's now recap the comparison between these three methods. We had the first in, first out, the last in, first out, the average. Now remember, this is under normal circumstances of rising prices, meaning inventory is costing more as it goes. That's the normal condition. When you get to book problems, they're probably going to ask you all kinds of things. What if, what if the price goes down? 
Well, that'll be the opposite. So I would suggest thinking about normal conditions where prices are rising. And then, of course, if prices are declining, for example, if some inputs to the production uh, in, uh, decrease in cost. So if we buy guitars and the price of wood goes down, it's, price, it's possible that uh, the inventory will go down. So be aware of that. So we're going to assume the normal assumption of increasing prices when we buy our inventory and then just kind of flip everything when it's the reverse of that. And that will be how I would suggest thinking through that. So if we looked at the first in, first out on the inventory, what's left in ending inventory, we had 4,400 units left in first in, first out. Last in, first out, we had 4,400 in first in, first out. Last in, first out, we had 4,000 units. So notice that last in, first out makes us look worse when we have increasing prices. We've got less in ending inventory. What if we take a look at cost of goods sold? Cost of goods sold under first in, first out, we had uh, 22,600. Under last in, first out, we had 23,000. So 22,600 being less than 23,600, first in, first out has less cost of goods sold, less expenses. That's, that makes it look better. So because expense, the income minus the expenses gives us net income. So what's the comparison of net income? Under first in, first out, we have net income of 13,100 in first in, first out versus 12,700. So the net income is higher. So notice when we talk about the balance sheet account of inventory, the income statement accounts, a net income, we're usually better off, we look better when we use first in, first out. When would we not want to look better? When we're paying taxes, which is when last in, first out is probably most effective. Now the average is going to be in between. So we said that the first in, first out is 4,400 for inventory, 4,000 flat for last in, first out, average 4,320. It's in the middle. And the net income we said for first in, first out is 13,100, and the last in, first out 12,700. The average is in the middle, 13,020. So if you're looking for an inventory method that makes the most sense and not considering probably taxes, you're probably considering the first in, first out or the average. If you're considering possibly lowering taxes, that might be in a time when last in, first out would be something of an option. If you're looking at book problems, remember that if the uh, prices are going down because of the inputs are going down for whatever reason, inventory is going down, then all of these assumptions are going to be flipped, meaning first in, first out will make you look worse. Than, and then last in, first out.